Well, we, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, it was a few weeks ago that we finished chapter 8, and so chapter 9, of course, is the next chapter. This is our first week of the new year, and so we took some time during the worship to, to celebrate communion, so our teaching time is a little bit shorter today. So I, I wanted to uh, maybe focus in on one verse from chapter 9, and then to talk about something as we begin the new year that's important for all of us, something that we all need to do, but sadly many many uh, will go through their life and they will never actually do this. And so um, we're going to begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 23. I put it there on your outline, and it simply says, Paul, Paul is speaking, and Paul just says, listen, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And as we begin there today, I want to talk about how to discover my life purpose, my life purpose. And, and the reality is that most people never sit down and consider and think through, why is it that I'm here? Why, what is my unique purpose? And, and so the way that I describe this is, is like if somebody were to get into their boat and they were to head out of Jupiter Inlet and they go full throttle on their boat, and as they're heading out to the inlet, they take the steering wheel of their boat and they just throw it overboard. And you find they kind of go this way a little bit, and all of a sudden a wave hits them and knocks them over this way a little bit, and then another wave hits them and go this way, and every time there's a wave that hits them, they just kind of go you know wherever. And you'd look at that person, you'd say, you're, you're really going nowhere fast, and there's not a real destination there. And I want to say that if you're a believer here today, this is not for you. This is not the life for you, that God has a purpose for your life. And so, and, and I think also, as I consider this today, our world has really changed over the last few decades and over the last few years. And uh, even over the last year, and I can tell you, based upon my understanding of Scripture, it's going to continue to change, and it's just going to get faster and faster as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return. So if there was ever a time for God's people to know their unique purpose and to live that out, this would be the time. What is it that God wants to do specifically in my life? So Paul, as uh, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, the next verse on your outline, you'll notice that Paul's unique purpose is revealed by the ambition that God gave him. There in your outline, Paul says, it has always been my ambition. You want to underline that word ambition, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So Paul had an ambition, and that came from God. There's, there's nothing wrong with having ambition. God gives, us, God gives us that. But Paul wanted to preach the gospel where it had not been preached before. Now, in Paul's day, that was, that was rather simple because there wasn't a church, you know, different churches up and down the street. So Paul would go where there was no church, and he would establish that. But then you come to the end of Paul's life, decades later, and his, his kind of a closing remarks, you might say, would be this. There in your outline, Paul just says, I was not disobedient to the vision from God. The, the thing about Paul is that he had a vision from God. He lived that out. And right now, you and I today are still, we're still feeling the effects of the ministry that, and the life that Paul lived all those you know, 2,000 years ago. So he lived his purpose. Now, when you and I look at people like Paul in the Bible, we say, wow, God really had a purpose for that guy. And uh, true, that's true. But you know, the Bible teaches that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. As a matter of fact, I could give uh, any of a hundred verses, but I'll just give one from Proverbs 16, where it just says this, the Lord has made everything for its own purpose. God says that he has a unique purpose for each and every one of us. God, God has 
put us here for a reason. And so knowing my life purpose answers the question, I want you to write this down. Why am I here? Why am I here? I believe that every person has a unique purpose from God. I believe that every family has a unique purpose from God. I believe that every church has a unique purpose from God. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about our church and our purpose and why we do what we do and and what it is that God's called us to, to be. I believe that every business has a purpose from God, but God has a purpose or something that he wants to do. So uh, again, very quickly, because time is short today, uh, knowing my life purpose, what will it do for me? Very quickly, number one, write this down, it reduces frustration. When you know why you exist, it makes the little decisions easy. Knowing your purpose reduces frustration in your life. From the book of James, it says this on your outline, it says, the life of a man of divided loyalty will reveal instability at every turn. They just never know what to commit to. It's kind of this, that was, this is, that it. They never really know. But when I know my purpose, I know what my life is about. And so whenever I'm uh, approached with an opportunity, I simply have to ask, is this something that takes me towards my purpose? And if it is, then it can be a yes. But if it takes me away from that, then it's just a no. So it reduces frustration. It makes the decisions easier. Number two It increases motivation, increases motivation. It motivates us to get going. For some of us, knowing our purpose keeps us motivated to go through the long preparation process that we might have to go through to to live out our, our purpose. Maybe that's years of school, whatever it could be. And so it 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 increases motivation. I, I love this quote. It says that basically people wake up in the morning one of two ways. They're either saying, good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) But knowing your purpose, knowing your purpose gives you a reason to get out of bed. Uh, on On the other hand, when people don't know their purpose, it leads to something else. Notice this verse on your outline. It comes from Proverbs. And in Proverbs 29, one way it's translated, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. There's just something about, you need to know what your life is about and where you're going. It can be collectively as a group, but also as individuals. Now, some translations translate it that way. My translation translates it a little bit different, and I've also put that there on your outline. And it says it like this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Go ahead and underline that. They're unrestrained. When you think of people being unrestrained because there is no vision, one, uh, you and I live in a society in a time where we have the largest substance abuse problem that the world has ever known. Some, many, believe that it's because we've raised an entire generation who've never come to the place where they understand their unique, their unique purpose. And because they don't understand their unique purpose, they become unrestrained. They don't have something that they're going for, so they just become unrestrained. Does that make sense? And so it it can be tied to a generation that just doesn't even know why we're even here. Now, Paul, on the other hand, he had a great reason to get out of bed in the morning. Notice this verse. Paul says, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. You see, knowing your purpose gives meaning to your life. The the happiest people that you'll ever meet are the people who know who it is that they're called to be, and they're going after what it is that God's called them to do. It gives meaning to our life. So it increases motivation. Number three, it allows concentration. Success or effectiveness, however you want to say it, 
comes down to doing one thing and, and doing it very well. As you look at professional athletes, you notice that they never dabble. They're very focused in on what their sport is, what their position is, and they give, that, they give it their all. They don't dabble. And so it comes down to that. So Paul, Paul, his secret to having an effective ministry, there in your outline, he says, I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. Did I capitalize the word one there for you? Okay. You want to underline that. Forgetting what is behind and looking forward to what lies ahead. So what I love about Paul is Paul didn't focus his life on 20 different things. He says, this is what I'm going to do. And once I knew that, I knew what I was not going to do. You remember it was two weeks ago, we talked about the big rocks in our life. And the reality is you, you can only have so many big rocks. For Paul, he had one. He says, this is what I'm going to do. You and I are still, again, living the benefits or the results of a man who knew what his life was about 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. So it, it allowed him to focus. It, it's been said that the difference between a light that lights up the room and a laser, which is a light that bores through steel, the difference is the amount of focus. You know, both are good, but, but the laser will bore through steel. It's just focused. When I know my purpose, it allows me to focus in my life. And then number, number four, it attracts cooperation. It attracts cooperation. The, the amazing thing is that when you know your purpose, other people will come alongside of you to help you accomplish it. Paul wrote this to the Philippian church. He says, you have helped me in the work of the gospel from the very first day until now. Uh, What I love about this is that the Philippian church, they shared Paul's vision, and so they jumped on board. They wanted to be part of what it is that God was doing in his life. When you know your purpose, it attracts people to come alongside of you to help you accomplish that. Now, if you are single here today, and I speak as somebody who did not get married until he was 35 years of age, so I've had some experience in being single. And, and so here's what I would say. The best advice that I could give you is to tell you that we are all attracted to people who know what their life is about and they're going in that direction. We, we're all attracted to people who know their purpose and they're moving in that direction. There's something attractive about that. There is something unattractive about somebody who's just waiting around to meet somebody. Does that make sense? So one of the best things that you can do is consider your purpose, your God-given purpose, and begin moving in that direction. So if if you've never considered your purpose today, whether you're married, you're single, regardless, uh, today is a great day to be here. I did not consider my purpose until I was in my early 30s. And it wasn't until I went through the process that we're going to talk about today that my life began to change very dramatically and and very rapidly. So we want to talk about that today. So the question is, how do I determine my life purpose? Now, this is regardless of whether you're married or or unmarried, uh, regardless of whether you're employed or you're unemployed, uh, whether you're retired. You know, when we, we retire, we begin to ask ourselves, what next? Whether your life is going great or the bottom has fallen out of your life, this is a a great exercise to go through. And so it comes down to three simple questions that we have to ask ourselves. Three simple questions that we need to ask to understand why is it that God placed us on the earth. But before I give you the three questions, I have to give you the number one prerequisite. And if you don't get this right, 
you won't get the three questions right. So here's the prerequisite, and I want you to write it down. And it's simply this. You have to spend time with God. You have to spend time with God. We have to allow ourselves to get quiet before the Lord. And in many different ways, throughout the Bible, you'll see a verse that looks something like this. You'll say it in many different ways, but a verse we're all familiar with, Psalm 46, one, it just says, be still and know that I am God. There is something about, there is something about setting a time, being alone with your heavenly father and listening to that still small voice where you allow him to speak to you. You're in his word and you're allowing him to speak to you and begin to clarify. You've got to get that right. We've been using a Paul is the example, and so Paul is certainly the example of spending time alone with God to clarify his purpose. I, I put the address there for you. It's Galatians 1.17. You can look it up later, but when, when Paul became a believer, he, he tells the story about how he didn't immediately start you know, Pastor Paul's revival ministry, traveling ministry, anything like that. What Paul did is he got away alone with the Lord. For him, it was a period of three years. Uh, great purposes are clarified over time. And so him, for him, it meant getting alone with the Lord for a period of three years. Now, he didn't live in the desert, but it says he went out to the desert of Arabia. And uh, so more than likely, he was part of a small town out there, but just kind of out of the way, spending time with God and, and allowing God to clarify his purpose. When he, that purpose was clarified and God said, it's time, then he launched and, and the world has been turned upside down. So you can read that story later on. For, for me, it's that first hour in the morning. That's when it works best for me to be alone with the Lord. I love to get up in the quietness of the house and just, and just spend that time. A quick story. So, you know, we have, three, we have three three-year-olds in our house right now. And um, yesterday morning, I went to my chair, but there were blankets all over it. So I went to another chair. And so I was sitting in the wrong chair. And so the twins got up early and they came running down the hall and they went to look at the chair. And one of them stops, and I can't tell them apart, but one of them says, <laughs> one of them says, where's daddy? You know, and I go, I'm over here. And I go, oh, what are you doing over there? They just expect that daddy's going to be there in that chair when they wake up. It's kind of a cool thing. So for me, that's when it works. For Cheryl, it's typically uh, late at night, but, but wherever it is for you, you want to spend that time alone with God. Now, as I spend time alone with God, there are three questions that I need to ask him and begin to write these things down as God begins to re- reveal. So here's the first question. The first question is, I must identify my gifts and talents. Gifts and talents. Those are the things that God has given to us. Uh, Talents are more the natural abilities that we have. The gifts are the things that God supernaturally empowers us to do. And we'll talk about those in our study of 1 Corinthians in in a couple of weeks. There in your outline, Paul is writing and he says, "We, we each have different gifts according to the grace given us. Use them in proportion to your faith. And one of the things that you notice is as you study gifts in the Bible, you you come to realize that it's God who decides who gets what gift. And he loves to distribute those gifts and abilities, we would say, within the body of Christ in a number of different ways. So there's going to be some things that I might be gifted at, and and there's going to be some other things that other people are gifted at. And God loves to distribute those things in, in different ways. 
So I need to identify my gifts and the talents, the talents that I have. And uh, your gift, your giftedness, is going to be the, the key to understanding what your purpose is, because your purpose is going to be attached to the way that God has gifted you. He's given that to you for a very, very specific reason. So the question that I need to ask myself, and you want to write this down, the question is, what am I good at? What am I good at? What abilities is it that God has given to you? We're all unique, and God has distributed all of the gifts among his people. So there's going to be some things that you're going to be good at, I would be terrible at, and it's just the way that that God does that. And it's the key to understanding. So what am I good at? Now, the great thing about God is that one day we're all going to stand before him, and uh, he's never going to say, why weren't you more like so-and-so? That's what your mama says. God doesn't say that. God says, he'll say, why weren't you more like who it is that I created you to be? I gave you gifts. I gave you abilities. And I wanted you to operate in in those things. And so the, the, the idea is that we can learn from other people, but we don't need to be like other people. We need to be who it is that God's called us to be. It's a very freeing thing. Now, I don't know anything about sports, and that comes out very quickly. I don't know if the Mets are going to win the Super Bowl this year or not, but <laughs> so I might get this bad. I might get this messed up. But have you ever seen on a football team, you got a guy who's the center? He's the guy that hikes the ball. Is that right? So he hikes the ball, and he looks like a mountain, right? And uh, they never come to him and say, you know what, we need to really work on your wide receiving skills. You know, we need to, to fix you, and you need to develop this skill over here. That never happens. If, if anything, what they say is, you need to never be a wide receiver. You're built like a center. This is your area of giftedness. It's your area of ability. And if you go over there, you're just going to mess things up. So do this very, very well. So look at your gifts. Look at your abilities, how God has designed you, because that's going to determine a great deal of what your purpose is. So far, so good? So then the next question, I review my gifts and talents, and I want to write those things down. Make sure that you spend some time and you write those things down. And then I need to review my experiences, review my experiences. What are the things that I've, I've been through in life? And we all have unique experiences. Paul, Paul would write this there in your outline from Romans 8.28. I've taken this from the NIV translation. He says, and we know that in all things, and of course I've underlined all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Some of us have been through the stuff of life. Uh, We've been through a divorce. Maybe we were raised in a a family that that was hit by divorce. Uh, Maybe we've survived cancer. We've been through bankruptcy. Uh, Our children didn't turn out the way that we had always planned. We've lost a loved one. We've dealt with addiction those things are just the, the stuff of life. And, and those come under the category of all things, all things. Let me read that verse again. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and, and those who've been called according to his purpose. So God takes all of those things and he integrates them in to our purpose. Now, he takes all things and he works it for good, he doesn't say all those things that we went through are necessarily good. Some of those things were very bad, but God takes them and he uses them for good. Does that make sense? So here's how he does it. Here's how he's going to do it in every one of our lives if we allow him to do that. 
Next verse on your outline, 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says, God helps us in our troubles so that, and you want to underline, we are able to help others who have troubles. Using the same help we ourselves have received from God. So here's what he's saying. You want to write this down. My misery today is my ministry tomorrow. God uses my hurts as I allow him to heal me and work through those things. He uses my hurts by giving a ministry to me to minister to people who have gone through the very same, who are going through the very same thing that I've gone through. So right now, if you have a very difficult marriage, and don't you raise your hand, but if you do, here is God's plan. God wants you to allow him to do his work in you, as he does his work in you, and your spouse to do his work in them. As he allows, as you allow God to repair this relationship, God's plan for you is going to be, in, in a very short period of time, to be sitting down with other couples who are going through the very same thing that you're going through but you have to go through it and allow God to do his work so you can be effective. You have to allow him to do his work. Have you ever noticed that almost exclusively, almost exclusively every drug counselor is somebody who's already come through addiction? God has used their hurts and he's created the ministry that comes from their misery. It's what he does. It's how he loves to do it. It's been said that that God never wastes a hurt. Cheryl and I were talking through this and, and many of you know my story, how um, you know, my parents were separated before I was born. And so for the first five years of my life, uh, I was with my mom. She was a single mom at that time. And then when I was five years old, she married my stepdad. And my stepdad really didn't want to have a stepson. He made it abundantly clear to me and everybody else. Now, later on in life, uh, our relationship was repaired and we became the best of friends, but it was very challenging. I moved out when I was 13 years, uh, 13 years old and I moved in with another family and they have become and still continue to be pretty much my family. Now, God has repaired my family, but I, I'm still very attached to this family that I, I moved into. And so uh, it wasn't until I was 22 that I came to, to know my biological father. Now, when I met my, my dad when I was 22, he had a daughter who was 18 months old. I'm from the first marriage, and she was from the third marriage. So my dad and I are building a relationship, and about five years into the relationship, he goes away to prison for, for 10 years. And so I'm the next of kin, so I take my sister Daisy and made some, did some things right, did some things wrong. It was a great learning experience, and God really used that. So for the next 10 years, essentially, Daisy becomes my child. So I get to understand what parenting is like from the position of being a single parent. Well, then later on, I meet Cheryl, and when Cheryl was 19 years old, she, she had a, a baby, and um, his name is Johnny. So I met Cheryl, and I, I knew that I wanted to marry her, but I, I waited a year to get engaged to her because I was afraid of being the kind of stepfather that I had, and I never wanted to do that to any child. I needed to know that I could love him as my own, which I have, and I do, and it's a, it's a great thing. He's a great kid. So I, I got to, to walk through that. So then Cheryl and I get married, and God adds to our family 11 more children. So, so we have 12 kids. Now, in, in our family, we'll say that sometimes God puts babies in mommy's heart, and sometimes God puts babies in mommy's belly. So um, we, we have a number that comes through mommy's belly, but we have four that God's places, we would say, in mommy's heart, and um, you know, certainly daddy's heart, too. 
of that, two of those children went through some major trauma when they were first born and in the subsequent time before they came into our family. So we have two children who have some deep, deep hurts, and they don't process information and relationships like like the others who came more in a healthy, normal way, if you, if you could say it that way. So we've had to learn how to you how do you parent children who have some very very deep hurts who don't process things like those who were born in your family and who were raised in a very very nurturing environment. It's it's been an incredible journey. God has used all of that, all of that and continues as part of the process uh, of 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 our purpose, uh, clarifying our purpose. On the ministry side of things, I went to seminary and the first church that I pastored in, I was not the senior pastor, but I pastored in a church. And the senior pastor became a very, very close friend of mine, taught me most of what I know about ministry. But, but sadly, the, the, the stuff of ministry got the best of him and one day he committed suicide. And, and it was a very, very tragic and painful experience. The next church that I pastored in, the senior pastor had built the largest free Methodist church in North America. It only had a thousand people, but it was the largest free Methodist church in North America. But it was in a county that only had 3,000 people. So of 3,000 people in the county, a thousand of them came to this church. He was a machine. But one day it came out, it was very cultish and very, very controlling. And one day it came out that he was having a number of affairs with a number of women within the congregation. Ultimately, he left his wife and three boys, and he was 40 years old. He leaves, and he runs off with a 17-year-old girl. So it was a very, very painful experience to, to watch and, and see that all unfold. Outside of that, I've been around the church block. I've been in the hyper-Pentecostal um, environments, and I will say this, say what you want about the Pentecostals, but they have a lot more fun at church than we do. <laughs> so <laughs> so I've, been in, I've been in that environment, and I've been over here on the other side that's super conservative where nobody moves, nobody says anything. You, know, it's, you, know, you, you stand up, you sit down, and it's, that's, it's very, very formal. And God has used all of that to, to form who, who it is and, and the purpose and how we do church today. Some of it's good and some of it's not so good, but God uses all of it. So when, when you talk about those things, the, the question isn't so much, what have I been through? Because we're all going to go through stuff. And if you go through stuff, God has to do something with that. So the real question, you want to write this down, is what have I learned from my experience? Some people go through difficult times and they just become bitter. How could this happen to me? Why did God let this happen to me? The way that you go through difficult times is you say, Lord, what do you want me to learn? How, how can you use this in my life? How can, I be, uh, how can you heal me and help me to be a blessing to somebody else? So he, he uses all of those experiences. Now I've talked about the bad experiences, but God uses the good experiences too. Do, do you have a good marriage? Well, well, God uses that. Did you raise some reasonably sane children? God uses that. That's a good thing. Did, did you launch out and did you start a business and it actually worked? Well, God uses those things. How about this? Did you get up every morning, faithfully go to work, provide for your family, and were, were just faithful to your spouse? God uses those things. So what is it that God's allowed you to walk through? What is it that you've learned from that? And God wants to take all of that, and that's all going to be part of your purpose. So I I need to identify my gifts and my talents. I need to review my experiences. 
And then I, I come to the third question. This is the question that many times we don't answer. And it's simply this. Write this down. I must decide what's really important. What's really important? There's a verse that we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're also going to see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in a few weeks. But Paul says, I may do anything, but everything is not useful. Yes, I may do anything, but everything is not constructive. In, in life, we, we just don't have time to do everything. So we have to decide what's the most important thing, and that's what I'm going to give my life to. And, and the best way to invest my life, the best way that we can invest our life, is to invest in the things that will outlast us. And the Bible teaches, so go ahead and write this down. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is what's going to last the longest? What's going to last the longest? From God's perspective, there are two things that last eternally. Two things. The first one is God's word. You want to write that down. I put the address there, Mark 13, 31. I could have given you a number of different verses. But Jesus is speaking and he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will endure forever. His word is eternal. It's one of those things that just lasts forever and ever. And we all get that. But there's something else that the Bible teaches that will last forever. And you want to write this down. It's just simply people. Again, I put the verse there, and you can look it up later. Matthew 25, 46 But Jesus is speaking, and he says that, as he's teaching, he says that everyone is going to exist forever in one of two places. One place we don't want to go, we don't want anybody that we know to go. But it's one of two places. And how I spend my life now, what I invest my life in now, can influence where somebody spends eternity. So I, I want to invest in the things that are going to be eternal. Does that make sense? So whatever my purpose is, whatever my career is, whatever it is that I'm, I'm doing specifically, there's two things that are going to be part of that, that purpose. One is going to be God's word, and it's going to be people. God's going to want me to influence in such a way that it, it, it influences people to wind up in the right place for eternity. So as you consider this, and there's no better week than this week to begin to consider this as it's the first week of the year, but I want to give you a couple of very, very practical suggestions. First of all, you have to get alone. You have to get alone with God. Be quiet before him. Allow him to speak to you. And this is not something that you'll do in, in a 15-minute or 20-minute time. It's, it's over time. It's over time. It might be a few months as, as it becomes clearer and clearer. So you allow him to speak. And as you do, you write down, write down those gifts and talents that God has, uh, that he's given to you, the things that you're good at. And then write down your experiences and all the things that you've learned. You need to have that document so that you can look at it and say, here's what I've walked through and here's what I've learned through it. God wants to use that. I'm old school. I believe in writing it down. It's been said, one of my favorite quotes is that thoughts disentangle when they pass through the lips and through the fingertips. There's something about writing it down that it just begins to clarify the thought process. And, and then as you do this, you want to you review it. You want to review it often. 
And as you review it, now for me, as I review on Monday morning is always the day that I spend in, in my time with the Lord. It's always my goals and, and purpose day. I review all of that and just continue to make sure that I'm on track and I'm not off track. So I do that. So I, I spend time. You want to spend time with God. Let him give you a vision for your life. And if it's from God, if the, the purpose that God gives you is from him, then he wants to help you accomplish that. That's why he's giving you that purpose. So you do that. And then here for me, this is one of my favorite verses. Of course, I say that about every verse, but, but uh, I love this verse because this is how I want my life to end. And you have to read it a certain way. There in your outline, in Acts chapter 13, it says, David served God's purpose in his own generation. Then he died. Serve God's purpose in his generation, then he died. I love that. That's how I want to go. I want to serve God's purpose in my life, and then I want to die. Just done. Wouldn't that be cool? Then you know that, that, that it's done. And so, so hopefully it'll go like this. It'll, it'll, I'll be here teaching. Uh, I'll give the final sermon, and then I die. <laughs> and since, since we have three services, it'll, it'll probably be the service. But that's how I want to go. Um, not necessarily on the stage. And hopefully it's not this sermon. <laughs> hopefully there's still more. But there's something about knowing that you're doing what it is that God's called you to do because he's made it clear to you. And then at the end of your life, you look back and you go, I did what it is that God called me to do. So I'm ready to go. I've served his purpose. I want that for you. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, for each of us, as we begin this year, as we begin, um, as we just consider our lives and going forward, my prayer is that each of us takes the time over the course of the next few days and weeks and even months to just consider what is my purpose? What is it that you want me to do? How, How can I serve you in a way that you've gifted me so that I can say I served your purpose in my generation, then it was time to go. I just went. Make it clear to us. Help us to be people as followers of yours who live on purpose, in our purpose, and help us to accomplish great things for you. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.